Coming up on the Assassin's Podcast, we've got Skylar Brown, the co-founder of Strong DM, coming on to talk about getting that first crisp investor check when getting an idea off the ground, how to raise capital before you've actually built a product, and how to get your customers so excited that they are willing to invest in your offering. He also talks about ways in which you can leverage in-person events to drum up buzz and build up hype, even giving away a car at one point to, to get people there, and about the process of just holding people to a timeline so that ultimately you get everybody on the same page to close that round and get back to building things. Excited to have him on. All right, with that, let's get it going. Assassins. Us. Us. Grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, gauge the game. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. What's going on, everybody? It's Justin Van Hay, co-founder of the Assassins Podcast. I'm here with a really special guest, a good friend of mine, Skylar Brown, the co-founder of Strong DM. Skylar and I go way back, but specifically wanted to have him on here to talk a lot about his experience having raised both founded companies, but also raising seed capital at, at his current company, but also in previous companies. Skylar, welcome to the Assassins Podcast. Excited to have you on and excited to have you share your story with us. Appreciate it. So yeah, I've spent my whole career in, in early stage startups, failed a bunch, learned some hopefully valuable lessons. So want to share some of those today and see if, if it might help the audience out. We've gone, I guess, at StrongDM from zero to 77 million in funding from Sequoia, Tiger Global, GB. Uh, so certainly have the opportunity to work for some incredible investors and, and learn a thing or two from them as well. Awesome, man. Yeah. So t- tell everybody a little bit about Strong DM. I'd love to just have you share a little bit about your journey early on, how the concept came about, just anything and everything you can tell about those first couple of years, getting things up and running. Sure. So Strong DM provides people first access for technical teams. So if you are a developer, and you need to access a database, server, or Kubernetes cluster, we make it convenient to request and receive secure remote access. And it's designed specifically with developers in mind, with all the modern stack of, of backend infrastructure and automation. Um, and I guess rewinding to the earliest days, the, the inspiration for starting the company was actually the startup where Justin and I met. It was a company called Nomi. And we were very much in the the early stage startup mentality of move fast and break shit. And, and one of the unintended consequences of that is um, that a developer spun up a test database, populated with 80 million rows of customer data, and then it was ransomware. And that, if I'm being honest, that was the beginning and the end of the business. We fought off a dozen different lawsuits and, and the FTC, but, but the writing was on the wall. And I, we were a big data company. And if we couldn't answer seemingly simple questions like who has access to what data and what are they doing with it, then we felt like probably most 
companies couldn't answer the same question. We ultimately started to build tools to solve that problem. And the that idea became the product that became the business that is StrongDM. Awesome. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about your experience raising capital at the earliest stage. What was that process like? Yeah. So I think the most important thing is understanding how investors think about risk and then doing the hard work to make sure that you have a credible answer to to how you address each of those classes of risk and then telling a a compelling story about, about how you do that. And the storytelling component, you can't underestimate because if you can't inspire investors, you're not going to be able to inspire customers or colleagues or prospects who you want to persuade to join. And I do think it a lot of people don't appreciate that the hard work happens way before you get into that room to pitch a partnership. And so when we thought about fundraising, we took a step back and thought about the different classes of risk that we knew we'd get asked about. So some of that in the earliest days before you have, forget product market fit, but before you maybe even have a product, investors are going to want to understand, are you the credible team to actually solve this problem? Do you have a unique insight or area of expertise that others in the market might not have? How big is the market? Is this a potential billion dollar business? And does the market actually support that? The total addressable market. How severe is the pain point that you solve? And then what is the the validation that your product actually solves that pain point? And so when we first raised, we were pre-product. So we didn't have that, that adoption metrics that make those conversations really easy to point to that says, hey, we had 100, 000, our first 100,000 in, in ARR because there was no product to sell. So the question becomes, how can you manufacture alternative metrics that you can point to that address the same question, but that you can actually deliver before you have the dollars in the bank. And so for us, as we thought about how to manufacture that perception of momentum, we started by going out and doing 300 plus product development calls and gathering the data that would help us better understand what are the problems around access controls and auditing. How does the status quo either create unnecessary friction frustration or security issues? And then how can we begin to create the, the perceived market validation before we have close one transactions? And so for us, that started with just simple verbal commitments that after pitching, after we went through and did all these product development interviews, we circled back to folks and said, hey, if we built this, would you actually use it? And every single week, we would update investors to let them know we got three more, four more, five more people who said, yes, we'd absolutely deploy. These aren't commercial contracts that are executed. It's just a verbal, but it's, again, it's just more perceived data points that help indicate that there is actually a problem here that it is worth solving. The second thing that we did was we applied to to a a startup conference in our space 
and and we got accepted to this, their startup alley. So we didn't have to pay anything. We had a booth, but there were three potential awards that that you could win in startup alley, and one of them was audience choice. And so all we knew was walking out of that conference, we had to win one of those three. And so we had to pull some kind of stunt. And what we ended up doing was uh, creating a flyer that said, we're giving away a car. And then we went up and down the aisles, screaming at the top of our lungs, making a damn fool of ourselves. We're giving away a car. Who wants to win a car? Everybody show up to the raffle, three o'clock, whatever it is. And when the time came for the raffle, we had a huge line around the booth. But the beauty was that the punchline to the raffle was that was, by the way, the car was the second prize. The first prize, I think, was 56-bit modem, still in its packaging that we got off eBay. But the punchline was that, the, that all security software is not the same. You've ignored the jargon, get your fingers on the keyboard and deploy to experience what it is actually capable of. And we drummed up a ton of attention and, and we shamelessly begged and hustled for, for votes for audience choice. And we ended up winning. And so we, we had the validation that we had verbal commitments. We had, we'd won the audience choice award. And then one of the, the CTOs who gave us a verbal to say that they'd use the product casually mentions, I realize you're raising a, an institutional round, but would you ever consider like an angel investment? And the second that he said that, it clicked and we realized, oh, that's a sexy story to tell investors that a potential customer doesn't just believe in it enough that they use the product once we built it. They actually want to put money in. And so we circled back to every single CTO that we did a product development interview with and said, hey, would you take that leap of faith and put in just a small check, 5000 just as validation that you believe in this product, this team, and we got CTOs to say yes. So three in total. And so every single week, we shared updates with investors with more data, creating more perceived momentum. We're getting more verbal commitments. We're getting more potential customers who are investing. We won the Audience Choice Award. And then the final kicker that actually helped us close our seed round is that we were accepted to Y Combinator. And then we turned it down. And we said, you know what? We'd rather just raise an institutional round. We know what we need to build. We know who we need to hire. Let's go execute. And that was catnip to investors. And all of that happened in about a six-week period so that it crescendoed with, and now we're talking to investors, and now you need to invest because the train's leaving the station. And, And we had, so we had perceived momentum. We had perceived product market fit despite not having written a line of code. We only had a clickable InVision demo at that point. We had validation of how severe the pain point was, and we could manufacture data to support that case because we had 300 product development interviews. So we could point to quotes from those interviews, just the number of theoretical upvotes for how severe that pain point is. And then we had to figure out how to address the other two classes of risk that investors are going to ask about, right? How big is the market? And is this the team to win it? So the fact that we, that I, my two co-founders had worked together previously gave a lot more credibility to the story of why we're the team to win. And specifically that we were solving a problem that we personally experienced in dealing with the fallout from a data breach at Nomi. And so 
we were again able to de-risk the questions that investors had because we felt the pain point personally and we've lived through tough times together. And we addressed the, is this the team question? The market size, we were able to create a, a bottoms up analysis essentially that was driven by how many developers are, exist globally, given that our pricing model would theoretically be determined by the number of people whose access we managed, multiply that by some notional monthly fee, and then you come up with a total addressable market. And this is the only time where I have actually had to artificially dial back the TAM because it was too ludicrously large. Like nobody would sit there and say, oh, yeah, of course, you're going to have a $150 billion TAM. Like investors are going to call BS all day, every day. So we dialed it down a little bit, but, but we were able to build a compelling case for this is the team. This is how big the market opportunity is. This is the perceived pain point that we solve. And, and this is the perceived market momentum for why you should invest now. And all of those things coincided with, with the raise. Now, the other component that is really, or the other question that's really critical to answer is why now? Why should an investor put in money now? As opposed to just continuing to sit back and let their investment de-risk by seeing you actually launch the product, drive adoption, drive those early sales. Because obviously, they want to keep turning over cards to to better understand how viable this this team and this product is. And another founder by the name of Wiley Cirilli once told me years ago that you've got to have artificial deadlines in a race. And... In his case, every summer, he went to camp that, that he acted as a, an advisor to, to take care of, of orphan and underprivileged kids. And so he said, come hell or high water, you've got to wire the money before I go away for this two-week camping trip. And he was like, admittedly, you know, money could have come in three weeks later, but investors needed to understand that there was a deadline that you were going to hold them accountable to, and it was time to shit or get off the pot. And I've applied that in, in every raise that we've ever done. And it has been incredibly effective. In, in our Series A, it was that I was going on my honeymoon to Japan. And before I got on that flight, those wires had, had to hit because the team had to be able to execute while I was gone. So whatever that artificial deadline is, you have to pick it. And then you have to be able to look at somebody in the eyes across the table with conviction and say, that's the date. And it's okay if it's going to be a no, but you got to get to that answer one way or another before that. I love it. Getting to that point of getting multiple parties to the table. I was curious to see like how you went about evaluating the investors you chose to work with at the first stage. What was that process like? And how did you ultimately come to the decision that you did? Certainly, step one is you've got to get somebody to say yes. And then it becomes a question of, again, creating a sense of scarcity and momentum to drive FOMO so that others will jump on board. So we were lucky in that we had existing relationships with a couple of investors who had backed my co-founder previously. But I'll never forget, we were sitting in a coffee shop with an angel, Jerry Newman, Birch Coffee in, in Manhattan. And, and we were still in the early days, but... We were like, we think we're going to start this business. Here's the idea. This was maybe October. And we were like, we think we might go out to raise in November and try and get something done in January. And we both knew Jerry and he's an incredible angel. And right there on the spot, 
he just said, I'm in for 50. So just let me know when you're serious about raising and uh, we'll get it done. And the, those sort of instantaneous yeses take years to get to. It's about developing those relationships, establishing credibility, and, and building the case for why when you do have that conversation, someone believes in, in you enough to take that leap of faith. Because by the way, at that stage, when you have absolutely nothing to show and no market validation, they're betting on you. And so you have to figure out how to earn that. But once you have that first yes, then the question becomes, how do you manufacture scarcity and momentum to get the others to pile in? And you, in every single round, want to have a competing term sheet so that you can make the best possible decision for the business and get the value that you deserve. All of those things don't happen by accident. It takes meaningful intention. And so we can certainly talk about how to, how to manufacture that momentum and how to run an efficient process. Because I do think that yeah. a lot of folks don't understand that it is, there, it, it, there's a science to fundraising. Yeah, I'd love to go there next, actually, because I, I one thing I found really interesting from your story as you told it was the process by which you were nurturing that interest, especially as you were getting some of these verbal commits. So I'd love maybe to take us from that that point of either it was the outreach to initial connection to what was the science behind it? What was that process like? And even going up to issuing that initial term sheet and just the dynamics of like how that played out and how you positioned these offers against each other, I think would be really fascinating. Sure. It starts by do your diligence, do the research to understand and identify which investors have historically invested in your space and create that target list. When it comes to a pre-seed or seed round, we tried to make it manageable. So I think in the end for our seed round, we had 35 conversations and start to finish from the first call to a signed term sheet was about 30 days. So what's important is that once you've created the short list of target investors, find credible and warm introductions so that they'll take your call. Two, time your outreach so that the wave crescendos all at once. You don't want one of the investors to front run the deal and have more time to diligence you and come to their own conclusion without the pressure of feeling that FOMO that other investors are going to throw down a term sheet first. So you have to architect the timing of those intros and who those introductions are coming from so that they are credible and that they will get the, the appropriate attention. So obviously the best in intros come from founders that that fund or that investor has personally invested in. Second best are credible operators that you that also knows those investors. And the weakest intros, seems counterintuitive, but it's true, are fellow investors. And the reason for that is why would an investor who deeply believes in this entrepreneur or this space uh, introduce a, another investor to the deal? Why wouldn't they just take it off for themselves if it's too good to be true? So there's a natural skepticism, potentially, if your warm introduction comes from a fellow investor. So once you've identified that, and we literally used a Google Sheet where we had, for all three co-founders, a list of target investors, 
went through LinkedIn, a list of all of the mutual connections, stack ranked them for who the likely strongest relationship was and who was the most likely to agree to introduce us. And then all it was, and then segment out the investors that were in the equivalent of call it our class A, class B, class C target list of dream investors. And we started working away from the bottom up because we wanted to work out the kinks in the pitch, get the curveball objections early so that we had a really polished, honed pitch when we were targeting the investors that we most wanted to say yes. And then we did the initial outreach to probably the first batch of 15. We set that artificial deadline saying, I don't remember when, but we're likely going to go out in for the formal raise in a month. But we want to just start to have some preliminary conversations to better understand the market. And, and then we tried to time all of that sort of initial batch of conversations all to happen in the same week. And then we were very rigorous around recording the, the objections or the areas where the pitch fell down or where our answers fell flat. And then immediately after every pitch, we would debrief and we would try and tweak the pitch to, to better address the objections that we got and iterate along the way. and. And then work our way up the list of target investors. And by the time we were talking to our, our dream team in every single round, because it's just, it's always a process. Your pitch will always get, get better over time. We wanted to feel like we were locked and loaded and had a really, a really strong, compelling story for, for our target list of top investors. The other thing that I think oftentimes people do make mistakes on is we had a very clearly defined set of topics that were assigned to each founder. So if a question came up on, let's say, the market size or on technical viability, we knew which one of us was going to answer this. And there was no awkwardness of stepping on each other's toes. And, and it's important to, to make those delineations clear so that, so that there's no confusion in the moment. Skylar, this is great, man. I appreciate you coming on to talk about your experience having both raised money, founding the company. Strong VM is clearly on a path to world domination. You are a true assassin. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested? What's the best way to get at you? Follow the same premise that I did to try and tackle in investors. Warm introduction from credible source. <laughs> I love it. All right, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Much love to you, your family, and your team at StrongVM. And uh, we'll keep up and let's catch up again soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. All right. That's a wrap for the week. Big shout out to Skylar Brown, StrongDM. True assassin. Appreciate you. Appreciate the listeners. Excited to release something new this week. So stay in touch for that. And until then... Keep collecting checks and getting that See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs.